everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. The digital age has brought enormous growth of digital data from everyone and everywhere. While this brings each nation and its components a newfound ability to design necessary products and experiences for this new digital age, there is a need to find a new sense of human-centric focus and balance. The reason is that algorithms are incorporated into the systems for increasingly diverse purposes and they permeate numerous facets of the daily life of everyone, individuals as well as entities across nations, its government industries, organizations and academia. Now, since people who define the systems, design the systems and build them and users who use them come from many different backgrounds and skill sets, Understanding these systemic results are often interpreted differently by the designers who created them and by the users who interact with them. As a result, there is an effort going on to building the human-centric design of algorithms. To discuss human-centered human -centered algorithm design for the data analytics further, I'm delighted to welcome Brian O'Neill to this kind of. Brian is the founder of Designing for Analytics and host of Experiencing Data, and he's based in the United States. Welcome, Brian. We're honored to have you on this ground up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be here. Wonderful, Brian. So algorithms are designed to perform, perform you know, so many different uh, tasks in all kinds of environments. So what criteria are used today to know the performance of any given algorithm today? So I guess I guess I would the the first thing that I like to do when I talk about this is to separate um, when we talk about algorithms we're talking about the out the output of a technology initiative right an output an output is not the same thing as an outcome some type of value or experience or wh whatever that may be that's separate from the technology so I would say that a successful algorithm is one that achieves the desired goals and whatever the outcomes are that were hopefully defined at the beginning of the creation of the algorithm and not afterwards. Although sometimes we revise what our objectives are as we go through the process of, of building technology, that's part of the creative process. Uh, but I think what happens a lot of the time is we focus a lot on the hammers and nails and wood and the construction of a thing and a lot less on what the outcomes are from the thing. Uh, and I think part of the reason there's a fair amount of failure in this space right now is because the outcomes aren't decided at the beginning of the project. Um, the the people re requesting these technologies don't always know what's possible with them. So they look at the data people to tell them what's possible. Like, get you know, I don't know what we need exactly, but we need some machine learning. Please give us some machine learning. And if, I mean, can you imagine going into your doctor and saying like, I need some surgery in my arm. And could you imagine if the next thing they do is they whip out a scalpel and start cutting your arm? Like a proper diagnosis needs to be done to figure out, well, let's figure out if machine learning is actually the right tool for this job. So what, what is it that we're trying to accomplish with this hammer? And is this the right hammer or knife to use for this problem? I don't know yet. And if that conversation is not happening and it's not centered around the people that are going to, assuming we're, and I'm, I'm going to talk about human in the loop type situations. Like there, there are ways to apply human centered design to projects and products and services that don't, that are completely automated. But I'm primarily talking about systems that are either augmenting uh, human activities or they involve some type of human user interacting with software. 
they're a component in the success of the delivery of quote the algorithm. So what I what I hope both business stakeholders and product people and the people on the technology side can do is to have empathy for the people involved with using these services, both the stakeholders, the business stakeholders who are sometimes the users of the service and other times they're not, they're representing some out, you know, like an external customer, right? It's, it's understanding that there's multiple uh, interests involved. And if we don't have a clear idea of what outcomes look like, it doesn't matter what we built, like how the sausage was made. Cause most of the time for a human, the, the customer, the user, the service, how the sausage is made is pretty irrelevant. Like if you're building a predictive score for doing X, like, you know, should I admit this person to the ER or just take them upstairs? And it says 67. It's like, well, 67 as compared to what? Like, what do I do with 67? Like, how do how do I know that that number is and, and the data science? Well, it's a probability outcome of what the model says. It's that's what it is. It's two thirds of from 100 percent sure that you should do this. So it's like, how do you how do you settle the, that cognitive dissonance that's there? And that's where, to me, human-centered design comes in, is by understanding this person that's going to take the 67 and make a decision about it. Do they trust the information? Do they have proper decision support provided to them at the time that they need it? Do they need evidence behind how that model was, was created? And that could sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like every time I listen to a song on Spotify, do I need to know all the decision criteria that went into the next song it's going to play when I'm listening? No, I don't really care, right? So it's not to say shovel all the evidence at them. Every model should be highly transparent, blah, blah, blah. No, not necessarily. But when we don't have any context for how that person, like, you know, admitting this patient or whatever, does their job all day, because we've never actually talked to them, but we've, you know, the executives are talking at this level of like, we're going to decrease ER admission rates by 52, you know, 50% or whatever. And I would say that's even a more concrete goal than I typically hear with my clients. It's rarely that specific. It's more like we're going to use machine learning in the admissions process. It's so vague and mushy that it's like, how will we ever know that we did a good job? It's really mushy. But if we don't go talk to that person that's actually doing the admission work, then the model can completely fail at that point Definitely. of human interaction. No, I, I and then I it's all out the door. It's like, what was the point of that? That whole giant project we did for nine months flush down the toilet. You know, it's like. <laughs> I, I hear you. You know, that is the reality yeah. that we are seeing today. I mean, businesses or, you know, any organization that wants they have, that wants to use AI or data analysis for anything, first has to start with what problem they want to solve. And yeah. then, you know, it comes like what technology to use and which what would be a better fit. And then, you know, the, you made a very interesting point about output and outcome. So those are, you know, it's good to understand the differences, especially for, you know, technical people and the outcome that we are seeing that would be you know more for human users that would be using and i think from all the you know information that you just uh, provided i was thinking about it it the perfect example would be the 5g uh, chaos that we are seeing right now all over the world because of the you know chinese technology so there is a lot of fear you know that people think that that technology has an algorithm in it that would uh, you know that is not good for national security and there there it could very well be because you know how the algorithm was designed, defined, and what data it's going to collect and what data it's going to analyze and where the data output is going to go 
uh, there are a lot of questions about it. There is a, you know, so all your, you know, data input, output, you know, outcome, mm -hmm. all of those, you know, questions come in there. And there is a lot of fear, you know, right now that uh, where to, you know, which technology to use, who is the technology provider, who has designed it. All those questions are coming into play. So uh, we, the example that you gave about, you know, whether to put people into ER or to take them directly to a certain room, how those decisions are made, what metrics to use, you know, to uh, perform, you know, that kind of analysis. At this moment, we don't see that anywhere. So, I mean, for especially if you're looking from a consumer's perspective, we don't know the technologies that we are using, irrespective of whether there is any hardware or software, any kind of application. We just don't know where it is coming from. Who, I mean, yes, there are labels written on that, made in China or made in US or, you know, all kinds of things. But who designed it? Who defined the, you know, algorithm and what data, what commands are given in those algorithms? What data is going to collect? What is going to be the outcome? What is going to be the output? You know, what is going to be the input? All those questions, nobody is asking, nobody is understanding. We just don't have that uh, system yet in place. Yes, there are some people thinking about it that, you know, we do need to some have some kind of, you know, consumer agency that can protect people. But, uh, you know, there is a need for understanding. There is a need for tools that gives us an ability to understand. And do you see what metrics, uh, I mean, are in generally used uh, to measure the performance of algorithms? Do we have certain metrics in place? Well, I, so I, you know, my, my background is not in data science and engineering. Like my background is in design and actually in, in music is my formal training. So in terms of talking about the performance of an algorithm from a technical standpoint, that's not, that's not the space that I operate in. But again, I, I think for, for, if we're talking about, a, a if we're putting a fence around this conversation, we're talking about deploying analytical data products or algorithms within the context of say a business providing a service to its customers or something like that the the metrics are the metrics for success need to be defined at the beginning of the project there, there's not a it's not a general sense of like all projects should have this this set of criteria i don't think it's like that there of course there are ethical considerations with some of the things that you talked about in data privacy and some of these kinds of things and i think you you need to be looking at the context for what it is that you're creating what are the risks to to the people that whose data is being used in this model are there risks to them are there secondary or second order type uh, risks, right? Like, are there sets of people that are going to be potentially injured by this or misrepresented by this solution? And I think, I don't think everyone is, I, I don't think it's so much people are trying to be malicious, but because we focus so much on the tooling and the technology piece, we don't think it's necessary sometimes to go out and do any of this squishy stuff, like talking, like having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, or, you know, as I talk about in one of the training seminars I do, it's there some of the ways you can if you're on a team that's building these these types of solutions is to make sure that you have some external stakeholders you could have something like a review panel who is not involved and has no business stake in the the project that you're doing but they provide an objective lens on where the data is coming from who are the stakeholders what are the considerations that were being made in this to keep from going entirely native uh, another thing you can do is you can, you know, if you're, um, you know, building a model for a class of people is just simply having diversity on the team 
and maybe even going out and and bringing some people in that are not like the make of the, of the team specifically to solicit their feedback about what it is that you're doing and to make sure that they don't that they don't that they do provide a lens on what you're doing that's not like the makeup of the team, right? Because at some point you get lost in the day-to-day -day work of you know building out a long, it could be a nine month, whatever, a six, nine month project on something. And you're really just focused on getting the model into production. And that feels like a success for a lot of technical people, shipping the code and getting it in quote into production feels like the end of the project. And it's not. It's actually the beginning of the it's the beginning of whether or not the thing is actually going to deliver any outcome. It's kind of the start of the journey for, I think, for a good designer. That's when it begins. Everything prior to that is hypothetical. Right. You don't actually know until it goes out into the wild. Is this solution going to perform well uh, or, or not? So to me, if you can de-risk this along the way instead of shipping it and 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 you can't always de-risk everything entirely right but there are there are steps we can do to de-risk the technology from building the wrong product for the wrong group of people or simply just having no idea because we didn't take any time to actually go out and try to break the solution like you know again we you've, we we all know the famous examples of you know these image classifiers that misclassify people and this type of thing it's like well how was any effort at all put into making sure that there was some diversity in this this team uh, th that's working on this this project? And part of this is simply empathy, which I think is largely missing with in the community. And I'm I'm making a, I'm going to cast a huge generalization here, but just from speaking at conferences and kind of living in the world of data science and analytics, that it's a very STEMI oriented group of people, and this lack of empathy because we're so focused on kind of our world of expertise and technical knowledge means we're not always spending a lot of time thinking about things from another person's perspective and that to you can get a whole conversation about where that comes from i think the arts and humanities is what helps us learn how to care about someone else's perspective and and i know for some you know science and technology oriented people that's it sounds very squishy and kind of vague and it, it's hand wavy and i totally get I totally get that. But if we're not going out and having those deep kinds of questions, we're never going to realize what we don't know to even ask about. And if we don't even know what the right questions are to ask, we're, there's a lot of risk that's being built into the solutions that we're building. It, it's you that simple. And, that's a very fair <laughs> point because those are the challenges we are seeing. And yeah. while there is a lot of discussion going on, you know, about yeah. having more diversity. The review panels that you just mentioned, that is also very much essential because you do want lots of checks and balances when you are developing uh, algorithms uh, or, you know, any data analysis you are doing. You want to make sure that uh, the that you have covered from all different angles and all different perspectives. While it is never, you know, possible to cover all 100 percent risk, but we want to minimize as many risks as possible because each of this technology, each of these algorithm, they have con they are consequential. And when we are building it and once it becomes, you know, hopefully, you know, we don't see that soon. But once it starts becoming, you know, uh, self-improving and autonomous and then, you know, if we have built the basic foundation that is flawed, then we will, you know, face a lot more, you know, consequential challenges for yeah. ev everybody, you know, is going to be impacted by that. So, yes, we have to be very, very cautious in how we uh, move forward. Mm -hmm. So as it seems that you have been, you know, also working in this field, you know, aggressively and you are also talking to many decision makers. 
this. Where do you see the disconnect emerging, especially not just the technical people, because only technical people cannot make these, I mean, uh, whole uh, AI development movement, algorithm movement, or data analysis movement, or data analytics movement, you know, uh, go forward. There are a lot more people that needs to be part of this movement and that needs to be part of the equation. So you just mentioned some, you know, gaps because that, you know, diversity is not that empathy is not there. Where else do you see the disconnect? And if we are not able to manage that disconnect, what do you think is going to be the cost of the disconnect and the poor solutions that we are developing? Sure. So a uh, lot to unpack there. I, I, the first, the, one of the first things, um, excuse me, sorry, my, I played soccer last night, my legs cramping up. <laughs> um, w- one of the things I, I just had a conversation with, um, with Eric Siegel, who is a founder of predictive analytics world conference. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking about one of the, the biggest, the biggest challenges in the space that he's seen. And guess what? It's not, technical it's not about training data it's not about the which algorithms to use it was what he called operationalization of models and whatever you call the word operationalization or acceptance criteria i prefer to call it simply engagement right are people engaging with the solution or not and this was the biggest make or break criteria, and it's something I talk about constantly to my subscribers and on my podcast, is that if you look at it as build the technology over here, and then it's like another team's entire job to go out and operationalize the model, I think that's inherently flawed because as as a designer, I would look at the criteria for the successful technology is that it is, that it is, it is accepted and engaged with. It doesn't, it's not just about the technical proficiency of the model or the software application. It's did it get used or not and and for the intended purpose and did it create the intended value? And if you don't design that in to the solution from the beginning, then there's likely going to be a gap here because that feels to me conceptually a lot more like we built this asset, this output thing, pass it to this team and now we're gonna shove it down your throat and we're gonna try to get you to use it. Like, come on employees, this is the new way to do it. We're doing it this way. We're automating this process now or whatever the heck it is. And they're saying, you know, some of these customers are saying like, whoa, where did this come from? Like, I've been doing my sales work just fine. Like, I know who I need to call today for my, you know, I know who the hot prospects are. I live in the CRM all day. I don't know where this magic list of who are the 10 leads I'm supposed to call today? Like, where did this come from? Like, I, I don't, I have no idea how you guys came up with that. And so this sales algorithm for like generating great prospects for your team to call is not getting used. They're still going into the old way they did it. I'm going to sort the CRM by last activity and filter by this and anyone in California that's this blah, blah, blah. You know, they have their recipe that they're following that they think is right because they weren't involved in the process of creating the new solution whatsoever. So I, I think you have to design in for engagement from the beginning. And that is a different skill set than building out a model and training data and designing the reward function properly and all those technical things that go into it, which I, I know there's a lot, there's a lot just in that. And I get that. But I'm always like, where is it going to break from a human engagement perspective? That's your like lowest common denominator. And if you can't figure out where that breakpoint is, there's a lot of risk going into this deployment of this technology from the start. 
figure yeah. that piece out first and then work it backwards. Like as Jeff Bezos, I think, talks about, you know, writing the press release for the solution at the beginning of the project. Like what is a fail? You know, what is a uh, what is a newsworthy press release for this solution look like? Start with that and then work your way backwards instead of just like glom on more stuff, make the model more efficient, performance increase, blah, blah, blah. And you're just shoveling it out the door. And we don't talk to those people over there. That's a different department. This is leader. You know, leadership has to come into play here, right? They have to they have to say this is important. It matters that, yes, sales team, you, this does mean 20% of your time now is going to be spent with data scientists at a whiteboard talking about what your process is, your recipe for calling people, what's working, what's not. That means I'm giving you permission not to be on the road or on the phone calling prospects because strategically this is more important than just smile and dial all day long. We need to jump ahead. But you need to be involved in that process. And the data science, the, the, the analytics and technology teams need to be pulling those people into these conversations. And, and that's tough. It's not always it's not always happening. And if the leadership doesn't kind of provide an environment to let that happen, then you're going to probably end up with siloed buckets of software, shove it to another team, and they try to like push it down on the organization. And, you know, I, I, in this context, I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about AI and, and models in the context of internally sure. with an organization, as opposed to like, we're a technology company building a software product. It's a little bit different for that. But I think that it's the more the brick and mortar companies and some of these that are having more of these challenges, because they're not they haven't built software as a practice. They don't self-identify as a technology company. And so they haven't learned some of these things that I think more of the technology companies have about why design matters. It's not just about aesthetics and how stuff looks. It's about making sure it works well for the people that are involved in the loop that matter. Like yeah, that's where exactly. design comes in. Yes, that is the whole reason we are developing all this, right? The algorithm yeah. that it would work and it is going to be applied uh, in a place that it's mm -hmm. going to help the consumers or whoever the user is. So, uh, yes, all those things matter. So, uh, irrespective of whether we are talking about technology company or, you know, we are talking about uh, uh, any other enterprise or government, you know, who are not in the business of developing technology but are getting into the business of developing technology now because everything is becoming a technology, you know, uh, oriented so uh, do you see a difference in how in who drives the uh, entire process of uh, algorithm design and development and deployment uh, you know between different organizations do you see a difference who is driving and what drives the process of algorithms uh, depending on the nature of the organizations we are talking about yeah i i was I always picture the what I call like the AI tennis game, right? And so you have your technology, which which I'm going to bucket engineering, machine learning, data science, analytics, because sometimes they're in different groups, sometimes they're not, but that's technology. And then you have business and or product management executives over here, and it's hit the ball over. It's like, give us some machine learning and they hit the ball. Well, what problem are you trying to solve like with the data and hit the ball back? Well, what, what could we do? What do we have? Like what? you guys that's why we hired the phds is because you guys know this stuff and they hit it back and it's like this tennis game about whose job it is to define what the problem set in the space is that's that that's going to frame all of this work that we're going to do and generally speaking i would say when i talk to technology people they say that is the whole that is a line of business problem that's a leadership and business issue that is not a technology issue 
And the business people are not always sure what's possible. You get into this whole data literacy thing, which is, is not my expertise, but, and I understand part of this is they don't know what these technologies can do. It's just FOMO, fear of missing out. Everyone else has an AI stamp on their product and business, and we have to have one too. So they don't understand it. So what is happening here, this tennis game goes back and forth. The, the leadership or the, the, the voices that, that I feel like I respect in this industry are, are putting blame on both sides, but they're not giving a pass anymore to the people in data science and data uh, strategic positions, CDOs, CAOs. No, if you're not focusing on bringing value here, you're going to be out of a job which means you can't just go in the basement and do your kind of crafty model technology work and then just pass it along and kind of just stay out of the way. That is not going to work anymore. And I think the challenge there is that it's a different set of skills. It's, a, it's not just a technology. It's not just statistics and math and, and software engineering. That's not the only skill set required to have a probing conversation with a business stakeholder to, to, to ask them, well, what are our quarterly goals? Like, where, what are our objectives for the next 12 months? What are we working on? How might we align the data we have and turn that into a product or service or, or optimization for the business? Like, what are we currently doing right now? Like, th that takes, a, it takes some bravery to, to push back on people who may be uh, at a different level of seniority, for example, for that, those people to have the empathy to say, we're all here to get to something better and a top-down solution is not going to work here. The top-down part should be creating the environment to fail and to, to experiment with this stuff. Um, but th there needs to be probing conversations happening there. These departments need to be working together. And I think one role that can be missing there is both either product design and or what I call like a data product manager. Because in, in tech companies, you, you have this kind of core trifecta of design, product management, and a technology lead, which is typically someone, let's offer architect or someone in that space. And in non-technology companies, this role of the product manager whose job is to make sure, did we create an, did we define an outcome and did we create an outcome from this initiative? Because we're basically turning ourselves into a software company within the business. Whose job is it to make sure that there is a delivery of value? And I think whether you have a titled data product manager or it's just that happens to be your VP of data science or whatever, the point is someone needs to, to own that role to help make sure it's kind of the hub and spoke model, right? All channels lead into them. Is the experience good? Is the technology viable? Are we on track from a project management standpoint? Are we, deliver, are we on track to deliver value back to the business and the customers? That role is, feels like it's missing to me. Uh, I feel like it's starting to change. Uh, you're hearing things like, the, you know, the analytics translator, as McKinsey likes to use this title. I think it's a terrible name for a title. It sounds like something you do after. Like, we do this thing and then we translate it after. I, I don't like what it conjures up, but I think the intention of that type of role that sits between business and, and, the, and the data teams is, is kind of on the right track with that. Um, and so that's kind of the space that, that I focus on in my own work is, is kind of this hub model and making sure the experiences are correct and and that we're focused on having clear objectives with the work that we're doing so. yes that, that's a good you know that's a good place to be you know to be able to visualize that and uh, yeah define that because uh, i mean if you're looking at the society i mean at the end of the day each of these products that we are developing technology products you know algorithms uh, and uh, all these uh, 
tools that we are developing they are going to be used by humans and humans they are if you look at you know each individual human they all are different people you know they all have they all have different way of perceiving things you know there is no in one individual that will look at any data any tool or technology or experience in a similar way to another person everybody you know has a different expectation different way of you know experiencing things you know all different technologies and everything that is around them in their human ecosystem so as you define and try to design these and you know try to develop uh, different uh, algorithms you have to have an ability to visualize all different you know possibilities and scenarios uh, that each of these you know individuals uh, may go through so uh, it is a enormous task you know to be able to give a perfect experience to uh, all the you know individuals that are going all the consumers users citizens who are going to be using these tools but how do you see the visualization process happening for the designers and developers because they are the ones who are going to fill the gaps and even if you get experts to give you the the guidance about who has to, who have uh, spent years you know studying you know humans and uh, you know how we, they perceive things and they have a better understanding of society but you still have to translate all of that now here the translation you know role will come because you have to translate all those experiences or all those ideas into designing this into defining all these algorithms that you are trying to define so how do you see this process going do you see any gaps there that we need to fill so that we can come up with better answers because yes i mean uh, there is a lot of discussion going about ethics and there is a lot of discussion going about uh, you know integrity and a lot of discussion about diversity and all but to when we are talking about code defining algorithms it's all about coding and just defining that talking about ethics and talking about privacy it's not going to be effective unless we put that in the code so when i look at ethics when i look at privacy when i look at security discussing all this is one thing but unless we code it it is not going to be effective because code is the constitution in this you know whole digital age so how do you see that going forward well i would i would argue that it's it's not all it's not all code i mean i i understand the point of what you're saying there but you could you could feasibly build a bunch of stuff into the code but if of the known gaps and the known needs but if you don't if you're not validating the solution along the way ideally prior to completing it and and also you want to do some type of valid user validation after or during a beta process of when you're putting that thing out there to test it and twist it and try to break it and i'm not talking about qa i'm talking about usability engagement uh we talked about the hospital admission example for you know the this magic 67 number and should i admit to the er room or not so the visualization process i you know the the design process there's a bunch of stuff we could get into all that i don't know if you want to get into all that right now but using this i'm going to use this this hospital example just cuz we are on this you don't actually have to build out any model any data pipelines any infrastructure to start going out and figuring out would someone would an admissions person sitting at the desk on the bottom floor of the hospital who's receiving patients coming in the door and they say i'm here for i have my arm is bleeding take me to the er room 
And their job is within five seconds is to make a decision ER room or go to the waiting room over here and we'll have someone come see you. What would be the criteria for this person? And, and I'm, by the way, I'm not a medical person and, and, and this, this is all hypothetical, but the point sure. here is what, what is the, what are the decision factors for this person that is in charge of saying right or left when that person comes in the door? And are we presenting that information at the right time, at the point that decision is made? Well, you can actually do that before you create anything. You can prototype a paper prototype, some kind of visual assets that has your 67 number on it, and then ask this person, like, where are you going to send this person? The probability that they should go to the ER is 67. What are the questions this person, this user starts asking you? And that is going to inform what should be in the model, and do we need transparency does the model need to be interpreted do the features need to be expressed on the screen at the time the prediction is given by having that conversation involving that person in the process it will then illuminate what those technology requirements are and you might say you know what deep learning out the door we cannot have a black box model here this person must be able to justify to this angry patient why i'm not allowed to go to the er you need to go here and the reason why is because the type of trauma that you have right now it's not critical we don't have space or whatever the reasons are they would be able to actually articulate and calm this person down and you know provide them a good experience at the hospital as well as take care of them they're able to provide that sure. information at the right sure time. Let, let me ask we'll talk about the example that you're talking about you know the admission process you know at the hospital right. let's say uh, at the uh, entrance you know there are two two people coming one is rich one is you know poor or let's say black one is black or one is white or you know doesn't matter you know but i'm trying to draw a distinction here and they both have similar you know health issues now there is only one bed available in the emergency room so how will you design the ethics or guidelines into this algorithm that will help the person who is sitting on the front desk make a decision of you know who do we you know bring in they both have insurance but you know they have only one bed there is one white person there is one black person or one rich one poor it doesn't it's some kind of difference is there so how will the person you know uh, at the front desk decide using the algorithm that who should get that bed how would the decision be made how would you incorporate that ethics into that so so to me i i think there needs to be a discussion about like obviously, what is the training data that we're using to create a prediction about this type of trauma for this type of person means go left to the emergency room versus right? And where did that training data come from? And then that that begins our questions about, is there bias in this data? Does that bias need to be controlled during the modeling design process or not? Um, I don't I can't speak to this particular domain, so it's hard for me it's hard for me to give an actual response to what I would do here. But I think part of that comes during the 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 data collection process. And by understanding like where is our data coming from, who's providing the training on this kind of data? Um, I mean, you can even part of this design process is simply the actual process of if you need to, for example, manually go out and uh, and and label data for a training set, and you're going to perhaps you're going to create an application to do that. And you're going to have a team of raters that are going out and doing that right there. You might have introduced bias simply into the way the method of of labeling the data happens. And so 
a human-centered design approach would say, you know what, they're actually a variable in this as well, and we need to understand what they've been trained in terms of how they're supposed to label the data there and see if we're going to, are we introducing biases into this uh, into this model that we're coming up with for an admissions person. So that that itself is actually part of the, the problem there. A great example of this is like, um, you know, let's say you're doing an image classifier, right? And, and the choice is, um, is it a car or not? And it's yes or no, and they're just seeing pictures of cars, right? And you see, a semi truck or you see a uh, let's say you see a pickup truck, right? Is that a car or is it not a car? Well, it's a truck, but it's technically, you know, it's generally it's an automobile, right? So I guess it's a car, right? So half the people are saying it's a car and half of them aren't because the question itself is vague and you have to look at the context of the people that are answering the question, right? And you could see how a different in a different domain that's more complicated than vehicle recognition how bias could be introduced simply at that point of actually doing the, the training data. So designing around those people, like understanding the context about, about how that data is coming in, also looking at the, the, the historical bias that may be inside that, these are all factors in, in how we would plan uh, this situation out. So I can't answer how exactly in that scenario of two, you know, two people come in at the same time and there's there's one bed to use. And I would certainly hope that this person in that situation that the decision would be made based on the risk to the patient, regardless of their age or anything else like that. And hopefully that is a factor in the way the model builds this prediction. It's primarily based on need, right? The human need that's there and not on how much insurance they have and all these other you know, types of factors. But maybe there are some business considerations there where that's, that's part of the model. And this person, maybe the interface itself balances those two things. If this person is supposed to make some type of business consideration, particularly like if it's a non-life or death, you know, a non-serious medical type of situation, maybe it's like, well, I'm going to send you to the third floor where we're only 60% staff. So it's a little bit slower, you know, because of X, Y, and Z business concern. I, I mean, I, I seriously hope hospitals aren't doing this, but I'm sure there are some business optimizations that have to be made some of the time, as long as there's not a medical risk that's happening there. But these are all these factors, and this is what I'm talking about. These are the human factors that go into whether or not the model for admissions is going to work or not. These are the questions that need to be asked. This is what you need to hear this person who's the receiving person at the desk what do I do when there's one bed and two people come in and it says, like, is it the first one to rush to the line? Is it just first in, first out? If they don't ever ask that question, how can anyone ever build that into the model? And if you don't go out and have those conversations and involve this person in the design process, you're never going to even know that that's part of the problem set. And that's part of yeah. the issue to me that's is that you can't look at it as a data problem only. Yes, it's well, not. <laughs> because see, these kind of scenarios need to be coded in that, you know, yeah. you have to look at what is important going to be for the decision-making process because algorithm mm -hmm. will give you guidance, but you have to incorporate this that, you know, look at the criticality of the health. That will be the basis of who will get the, you know, bed, not about yeah. the, you know, color of your skin or not about your religion or not right. about, you know, uh, whether you have... Uh, uh, you know, you are a rich or poor. It's not about class, religion, or anything else. But you have to look at the as a hospital, you know, administrator. You want to make sure that you incorporate all these data into the algorithm. That it has to be focused on the criticality of the health, and then you know all these things. That's why I think that you know 
when I say that ethics and integrity and privacy and all of this, you know, security, everything has to be coded because just by teaching, you know, or talking about ethics and, you know, talking about issuing guidelines of privacy, it's not going to work because humans, you know, interpret things in a very different way. Humans, you know, the respond to scenarios and you know events in a very different way so unless it is all coded in the algorithm the humans you know even if they are have a you know list in front of them about the guidelines how to you know behave how to you know address certain scenarios they are not going to focus on that but if it's embedded in the algorithm then the algorithm will do that job, you know, blindly because that's what the algorithms are for, you know, that they give us a very objective, you know, analysis, that they give us objective decision-making uh, and that we have we, we want to depend on that objectivity because humans are very subjective when we take decisions. So we want to make sure that all these criteria that are important for the outcome, for the, you know, uh, to meet the goals of the society, to meet the goals of the consumers, that we embed all of them in the code. And it's possible to embed all that in the code. So as you go forward, design, defining, you know, different uh, criteria, designing all these uh, uh, algorithms and trying to make them human-centric uh, for the data analysis, how do you approach and how do you, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially who are in the business of you know, data analysis and who are trying to develop algorithms? What would you like to tell them as they move forward that where they should be focusing on? Well, again, I think it starts with having good probing conversations and not looking at these as technology and, and math and statistics and data problems, but looking at them as that it makes it or it breaks it at the point of human contact and a decision to use this or not. What does successful engagement look like? And have we planned for that in our work? It's not just a data problem. And part when you said it needs to be embodied in the code, then I would say to you, how do you know what all the factors are that should be embedded in the code into the model if you don't have these conversations to realize how this person makes decisions today? You might find out that like, well, what zip code does this person live in? And the data scientist is like, well, why is that Why is that relevant to which bed they go to? And, and we find out that this person actually, well, the reason why is because if they have to be readmitted, then that's a factor in like, how far, how long does it take for them to drive back to the hospital if there's a readmission? And so, and I'm this totally hypothetical, but my point here is that how far they lived away was actually... Uh, a best practice in the way the admissions group has always done its work. But that may not be obvious. Like, why would we even consider that in the building at the, as a feature in our model? We may never have had to, we never just, we're not going to ask that question because we don't do that job all day. And so if we're not doing the proper research to inform the design of the model and, and to understand what all the questions are that this admission person is going to ask, we can't put it in the code because we don't know it needs to be there because we haven't asked the right questions about it. And we need to know like, well, what would you do with a zip code? Like show me, how would you ever decide what to do with a zip code? And this person would probably run you through their process. Well, typically what we do is we ask them where they are and about how long it takes for them to get here. And then that was a decision. And, and then you might say, well, so what you're really saying is you need to know about how long it takes to get to the hospital. Is that really what you're asking? Because then the engineer is probably thinking, okay, we don't really need the zip code. We just need the drive time to the hospital or whatever as a function of minutes 
driven or whatever. And you could start to see how the wheels start turning here, right? That's an implementation sure. detail now, sure. but, uh, it's, but, but it's a factor, you know? But one difference is uh, one thing I have been thinking, you know, I have been studying this, uh, how all these uh, algorithms are developed. And mm -hmm. see, the thing is, it should, defining all these criteria should not be one-time job when the algorithm, you know, is mm -hmm. doubled. We need to create a way to put these inputs into the algorithm. It needs to be dynamic. So as we are not going to learn everything in one, you know, meeting uh -huh. or one, you know, one year also, let me say, while the algorithm has been developed. So do we want to make an algorithm static that, you know, only one time we can define the criteria and we provide the input only one time? Because that would not be a wise way to move forward. We need to make it dynamic. So as we learn, there's not, we are not going to learn everything in one day but as we learn as we leave more as we you know the algorithm functions more as we it goes through more operation we need to provide that ability to add more criteria to add more to the code you know to the algorithm and that is the only way we can perfect algorithms one session one time you know meeting or one you know year of development process is not going to give us all the answers we so do you think no 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 not at all and in fact you're probably going to find out like this process make 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 your project a lot bigger and it's going to it's going to force more questions and you're going to be like wow, I don't even know how we would get the data to do what this person says they're doing now. But we now know that that's a factor in how they're going to use the solution. And so what I might say to that is that, your, that when you talked about visualization earlier, what your solution might have to do, if you think about launching an MVP, a minimum valuable product, is that the interface might say early on that, you know, 67, and then it says underneath it, like, does not factor in patient uh, location or patient residence address is not factored into the model. Why does it call that out? Because we know that the admissions people heavily today rely on that there. And if you don't say that there, then either they don't trust it or they don't know if it's factored into that. And either one of those could be problematic from a delivering an outcome perspective for the hospital, right? So how do you know to put that on the screen? And it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of static text. It's like, that may be the thing that makes them turn this on every day or not. And you can't know that you need to even say that for your MVP that we did not check these factors. We did not look at occupancy rate. We did not look at these things today. And you put them there because you know that those eventually are going to be important. And, and at some point, there's another project to do version two. And we're going to bring in this data from this warehouse. And then that's going to be, become part of the model. But how do you know to put that decision support in there? You don't if you don't have these conversations. And so this all ties into what goes on the screen, on the software, in the visuals. At the end of the day, what does the UX, the user experience look like? It's a sum of having these conversations and figuring this stuff out. And, and that is very much a process, right? It's very much a process uh, of, of arriving at that. It's not a one-time design isn't a, design is a method by which you go about doing this process of creative problem solving. It's not a do it and then you're done. It's never done. The design is really not done. It's a process of constant testing, validating, uh, making changes, doing the research. Are we still solving the right problem? Do we need to go back to problem definition here? Because we designed something which actually uncovered different problems that we didn't know about. And so maybe our, we're not even on the right problem yet. So we actually have to go back to this point. And, and, and this 
for 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 the STEM audience listening to this, part of this is, and this is kind of the squishiness of of the creative space, is that design is not always linear. So when we talk about well, what is the design process? I look at it more like, well, there's you know, there's five or six, seven different steps, but you don't always go through them linearly. They're not always going to be serial. And then you, once you do that, then you're done. It's like, no, you might go out and test a solution to find out you didn't solve the right problem. We don't even know what we're, this is so not the right problem space. We actually, this person's trying to do X. We have helped them solve Y. So is our, is our solution wrong? Well, it's, it's great for problem Y, but that's not what they're trying to do. So we actually need to go back to the drawing board over here and, and, and re rehash this problem space definition out first. And so it, it's, it's this bouncing thing. You're not always going through it in a, in a serial process. It's very much a process and methodology and a way of thinking about approaching the problem. So it's not a one-time, once-and-done at all. <laughs> it is not a one-time thing. You are absolutely no. right about that. So what would you like to tell about your organization and your efforts to our global viewers and listeners? Oh, you, I mean, you've kind of talked about it a little bit before, but yeah, I'm I'm the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics. So my background is in product design, and I specialize in helping companies uh, design innovative data products powered by data science uh, and analytics. So um, my, my goal is really to help uh, companies that are struggling with the um, the marriage of these technologies to human need and engagement. Uh, and so typically someone that's working with me has either gone through the process of building out a solution where it, it it failed not from a technology perspective but it didn't it didn't succeed because it wasn't used or it wasn't understood or it wasn't trusted in some of these human factors and and they're seeing how usability and utility matters and so they want to come in and figure out how do we make sure that whether it's predictive analytics or descriptive or whatever it is if you're building a decision support solution and you want if you believe that engagement matters to the success of that that's the problem that I really like to help uh, companies out with, whether they're startups or you know more mature organizations. So, um, so I write about this on my mailing list, and uh, I do have the podcast, Experiencing Data, that I host, and and I try to bring in mostly uh, executives and and data science and product leaders. Uh, and it's not really a design podcast, but we talk very much about the human engagement piece and what are what are different teams and and leaders doing from an engagement piece what how how are the human factors a part of the work that you're doing so it's a non-technical show uh, it's very much uh, really oriented around this the, these topics that we've been talking about today wonderful thank you so much brian yeah. for participating in risk roundup today cool. thank you we appreciate your thoughtful insight on human-centric algorithmic design for data analytics and i'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you shared today and then background information you give about what your efforts are. So I think this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Yeah, thank you very much. Wonderful. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it's not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, 
it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, please go to riskgroupalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundups, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.